The first reading is from Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And this will actually serve as the basis for the message this evening as we continue our Advent focus on the clothing of the king. So see if you can make a connection between this text and Jesus. The word, or the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through it to all to Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, out of respect for our Lord, we rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel, which is a reading from Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Oh, grace, mercy, and peace is yours to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sometimes we wear our emotions. Whether we intend to or not, the things we feel, like surprise or shame, joy, sorrow, or anger, they have a way of being revealed through our body language or through our expressions. Like when our child or grandchild nails that solo, we just beam with pride. Or when we get that hard-earned promotion and pay increase, joy just radiates from us. Or when we're angry or offended, it's really hard to hide those emotions. Sometimes we wear our emotions, don't we? I know I certainly do. And that's certainly the case with repentance. At least it should be. 
Repentance is sorrow and contrition over sin. Repentance is turning from our sin and falling into God's mercy. Repentance is central to the rhythm of our Christian life. Repentance is one of the important themes of the season of Advent as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's return. This past Sunday, we heard the Gospel reading from Mark chapter 1. And there we heard that John the Baptist appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Multitudes of people, troubled and contrite over their sin, flocked out to where it was that John was doing his work. And they were baptized by John in the Jordan River for the forgiveness of their sins. Time and again, we too are brought face to face with God's good and perfect standard, the beauty and the weight of which brings us to our knees. God's holiness and perfection humbles us. It fills us with regret and it makes us yearn for God's grace, which he freely gives us in Jesus Christ. Advent, along with its close cousin Lent, is intended to be a penitential season, a time when we look more intently at our own weakness, at our own mortality and our failures that are revealed to us by God's law. And doing so creates an extra sense of expectation and a real sense of urgency for Christmas morning to come, when the grace of God will arrive in flesh and blood in a newborn's cry from a stable in Bethlehem. We find a powerful example of repentance in a very strange place and with an unexpected people, the Ninevites. Yes, Nineveh, that pagan metropolis, famously begrudged by Jonah, the guy that got swallowed and spat out onto the shores near Nineveh by a monstrous sea creature. Nineveh, of all places, is a picture of repentance. Jonah did all that he could to avoid the preaching assignment that God gave him when God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and proclaim my words of repentance to those people. As you may know, Jonah kind of went in the opposite direction and God had to, yes, track him down and spit him up on the shores of Nineveh with a great sea monster. But eventually Jonah goes into Nineveh. And he preaches probably the shortest of sermons that you could ever preach. Eight words in length. I'll never do it. But Jonah went throughout the city and he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did you count it? Eight words. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And despite the brevity, or maybe because of it, the king of Nineveh and all of the people were cut to the core. And they believed the words of this reluctant prophet. And in so doing, they repented of their sin. They wanted nothing to do with God's judgment and condemnation upon themselves. They yearned for God's grace, if you can believe it. And the king and his subjects 
Yes, they repented. In fact, the book of Jonah describes it like this, and you heard it before, but I'll read it again. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation that was published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Amazing that these pagan people would behave in such a way. To fast, to forego food, was to admit your mortality with every hunger pang. To wear sackcloth was to wrap yourself in humility, reflective of your sinful state. To be covered in dust and ashes was to publicly embrace the shame of your own sin. And the Ninevites did this from the throne to the stable, from king to even cow. Yes, even the cows expressed contrition in that they were covered in sackcloth. This was some grief over sin. This was some real, robust, and unmistakable repentance. Faced with the judgment of God, the Ninevites just didn't feel bad. They wore their grief. More than emotion, it was an expression. It was a loathing of sin so deep and a hunger for mercy so intense that it couldn't help but be seen on the outside to shine through their body and be communicated in their appearance. And in response to their repentance, Jonah tells us in verse 10 that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, he relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. When was the last time you repented like the Ninevites? Do you even know where your sackcloth and ashes are stored? I mean, even though we are just as sinful as the worst of the Ninevites, it may have been a while since we actually shed a tear over our sin, let alone sat in ashes, or whatever would be equal in today's day and age. I mean, even when we look at our own spirituality, we must repent. We must repent of our shallow repentance. For even in repenting, we seem to fall far short. Instead, like the Ninevites, we'd be wise to confess to God, I am a poor, miserable sinner, deserving of your judgment and eternal wrath. But take heart. God knows our sinful state, and he's prepared a gift in response. You know, we often talk about Jesus Christ as being pure and holy, and he is. And Jesus is often pictured in a white, a long white 
flowing robe, kind of like what I'm wearing. But do we ever see Jesus dressed in sackcloth and ashes? You ever see a picture like that? I was racking my brain this week trying to think if I've ever seen one like that, and I don't think I have. You know, a significant part of Christ's saving work was not only dying for us, but also in living for us. And it's in His living for us that He perfectly embodies the repentance and humility that you and I, when faced with our sins, so often fail to embrace. So let's think about it for just a few moments, shall we? I mean, Jesus knew that He was coming into this world to do His Father's will. In fact, Jesus often said something like, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, He said, Let it now be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And again, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And to fulfill them, Jesus did in his humble obedience to his heavenly Father. He kept the law perfectly in a way that you and I can never keep the law. But because of his perfect obedience, we are declared holy in the sight of God. The angel announced to Joseph in that dream that we heard earlier, Mary, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. By his flawless, obedient life, Jesus fulfilled God's law perfectly. Jesus endured humility He endured the weakness, the shame, the rejection, the mortality that rightly and only belongs to you and me. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was a man of repentance. He wore our repentance when he was stripped naked on a cross. He bore our shame when a crown of thorns was crushed into his brow of his head. He wore our contrition by dying our cursed death. In his living and in his dying, Jesus, he wears our sin. He wears our sackcloth. He has on him our ashes. And all of this he does willingly lovingly for us. We often hear these words of Scripture, and I repeat them once again because they're really so beautiful. God made him who knew no sin, or who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Seeing Christ wrapped in our weakness and in our sin seeing Him wrapped in our, in our repentance and contrition, God's aim is to lead us to confess our sin. It leads us to come before God on our knees. As we heard in the epistle lesson for tonight, if we say we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when does this happen? Well, at the very least, it happens here in the church, in the sanctuary, doesn't it? God gathers us into this house of worship to, conf to confess verbally and boldly and honestly as part of our liturgy that we are wretched sinners, miserable sinners, that we're desperate frauds. And then God causes us to respond with joy, real and profound joy, when we hear him say through my voice as your pastor, there's no judgment. There's no judgment for you in Jesus Christ. For God freely and lovingly forgives you of all of your sin. This perfect substitutionary humility of Christ covers you. And I'm sure you also confess your sin at home. Or you confess your sin in your car. You confess your sin probably where ever you are because it is the rhythm of life, isn't it? As, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ. And as you confess your sin, wherever it might be, I hope you hear my voice. Or you hear the voice of someone else, another brother or sister in Christ, say into your ear, your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for you. Jesus lived an obedient life for you. And so I pray that you will make the most of this penitential Advent season. I pray your Advent will be filled with the rhythm of repentance. That you would be cut to the core daily with grief over your sin. Oh sure, repentance might feel a little bit awkward. And it's sometimes a little bit painful to admit to God and to yourself that you're a sinful person. But it's okay to repent. For if the cows in Nineveh can wear sackcloth and ashes, why can't we? Yes, as with the Ninevites, we are called to repent so that we might ultimately rejoice. That we might ultimately receive and rejoice the forgiveness of God in Christ. Try wearing that daily. Wear the robe of Christ's righteousness. Wear Christ's forgiveness. For that's his Christmas gift to you. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.